0: the Prospect Sermons Podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, senior pastor of Prospect Baptist located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons Podcast. Thank you so much, Scott and Kim, and thank you so much, Choir, for leading us. Say, good morning, my name is Parker, and I'm so glad to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn them on or turn them to. The book of Galatians, uh, chapter number three, you're gonna be looking at verses uh, 15 through 18, And uh, while you're turning there, I do want to say and echo again, happy Mother's Day uh, to all of our mothers here this morning. And as Johnny had mentioned uh, before, uh, this day is uh, for some of you a great joy, but some of you is filled with a lot of sorrow as well. And so my aim and my goal this morning is to point both of those groups uh, to the only hope that we have, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you'll be comforted uh, this morning in the person and work of Christ. I also want to say, before I get too far along, uh, thank you, Jeff, uh, for preaching last Sunday. You did a great job listening to that message. You did a fantastic job. And um, just uh, thank you for uh, your diligence in walking through this text with us this morning. I was able, thankfully, to be able to relax uh, with my family, go, went down to the beach, caught a big trout, and uh, gonna mount that on a wall at some point. Uh, and so that was a good time and a good vacation. I came back to a very tough text uh, and just honestly a, a wrestling of a week uh, to, to nail this thing down. I, I often found uh, that trying to um, find my outline for this sermon was about like trying to nail jello to a wall. Uh, The way that uh, the Apostle Paul builds his argument here, you'll see it's kind of hard to make it uh, sequential as I was trying to. And so I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. But if you're in your Bibles, uh, Galatians chapter three, you know that the apostle Paul has been building his case for justification by faith. He's shown us the example of conversion in verses one through five, the example of Abraham in verses six through nine, the example of Christ and the curse that Jeff preached on last week, verses 10 through 14, and now getting into the law and to the promises. And Paul's main point is the idea is that God's law does not nullify the promises that God's made and you know, instead God's law illuminates the promises of God and makes them all the more sweet or you can say it positively in this way we're looking this morning at the superiority of the promises, And so I don't know about you, but maybe you've had a promise that was made to you and that promise never came to fruition because it was built and anchored in the promise of a man or the promise of someone of the flesh. But the good news of the gospel this morning is that when God makes a promise, he will be faithful and he will fulfill all the promises that he has made. And so this is a great, glorious promise that he has made to Abraham. And so out of honor and reverence of God's word, would you stand this morning as we read together uh, Galatians chapter three, verses 15 through 18. The apostle Paul says this, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean, the law, which was given 430 years afterward does not nullify a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this is your word. God, you are speaking to us through your word. Your word comes with its own authority. but Father, I just pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. That your spirit would illumine this text, that we would see Christ and him exalted. We would see Christ, him suffering and pointing us to the only hope that we have, namely through his death, burial and resurrection, the gospel of our great savior. It is only through Christ that we come to you. And so Father, would you allow Jesus to go before us this morning? May he wake away for us. And by your spirit, would you help us to hear your word and to receive it and believe it in faith and apply it in all of our lives. And we'll thank you for it in advance. And it's in Christ's name that we do pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated. I wanna call your attention this morning to three points. I wanna call your attention to God's binding agreement Secondly, to Abraham's true offspring. And thirdly, to God's gracious gift through Christ. Firstly, God's binding agreement. Look at verses 15 and 17. I'm gonna read 15, 16 and 17 briefly but I wanna show you this to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say, and to offspring, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void verses 15 and 17 stand as parallels to one another. What I mean by that is that they're helping us understand what the apostle Paul is emphasizing. He begins with a human example. Let me tell you how humans operate. Let me tell you how humans operate that they make a promise and his point is that that is all the more true about God. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. Now, there's a little bit of a hint of trouble with Paul's argument in accordance to a Westerner's perspective or according to a Western mindset. And what I mean by that is this, is that if the argument and his argument is on the basis of a human contract or a covenant or a will, namely that it once it's ratified, it cannot be added to, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, I got a pretty good lawyer. And maybe I can go to them if you have a will or as you get a little bit older, maybe you have children and you return to your attorney and to your lawyer and you say, I'd like to adjust my statement so that I can add them to my will, to the contractual agreement on the basis of my children now. And the second cousin, by the way, that made me angry, they're not getting nothing, right? So you can make amendments to your will, to your covenant, unless, of course, the apostle Paul means something different and he does. He's talking about a special covenant or relationship in both Jewish, Greek and Roman law. There was a particular type of contractual agreement that when it was binded into law, it could not be altered. And the Judaizers, in fact, this is likely the same type of law that Jesus alludes to in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son or the father with his two sons that the younger son wishes his father to be dead and receives his inheritance because the type of contract it was owed to him. And the apostle Paul builds his argument in this way, as to say that when a person gives their word in this way and they sign their name and in an agreement to something, it is to say the deal is done. The gavel has swung and the verdict is given. The discussion is over. You can't go back and then change your mind about this agreement. To ratify, the word that is used there means to establish as forceful. It means to give weight, give credence. It means to carry force. It's a verb that's used as a past tense, but it carries implication into the present day and into the future. Then in other words, the decision has been made and it's still in effect. It's been ratified and it still has force. And no one, contrastly, annuls it the word there in verse 15 and 17 means to revoke, means to take away the force of, no one does that. That's true with any man. No one's gonna go back on their word, but how all the more true is it with God? God does what God says he is going to do. Paul means to tell us that God has spoken and you can take it to the bank because it's anchored not merely in the court of flesh, but it's anchored in the very character and nature of God who is unchanging. This is Isaiah 46. I have spoken, verse 11, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Even Balaam in his selfish intentions to speak the truth, he cannot help but speak the truth of God's faithfulness. Well, he says in Numbers 23, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind? Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And the apostle Paul is connecting this truth and he says, these are not just the words of a man. These are the words of God. And this is not just words spoken, but moreover, it is a promise. In other words, it is an agreement. And the truth of God is on the line here. The Judaizers would have said something to the effect of this is that God gave the word and a promise to Abraham. And then 430 years later, he gave the law and in giving the law as a part of the people of Israel, then surely God must intend that we live by the law now. So the false teachers would say, we moved past Abraham and then to Moses. Abraham was obedient, so now we are to be obedient. And the law was given, so we must be obedient. Why else would he give us the law? The law came after. What else is his purpose? And the apostle Paul is going to answer that very question in verses 19 through 25. But his argument here is that God made a promise And the law doesn't annul the promise. And in making a promise to Abraham, God is not going to go back on his word. The law has a different purpose than what you're trying to use it for, Judaizers. God isn't going to go back on his word. God keeps his promises and God made a promise with Abraham. Point two, see Abraham's true offspring. Verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. God made a promise, note this, to Abraham. And we've seen in this promise, this promise that is given, turn back to Genesis chapter 15. And after you've turned there, keep your thumb there in between there and Galatians because we're gonna flip back to, to Genesis chapter 15 a little while later. But it's built and centered upon this promise that God gave to Abraham. And we'll see in just a moment, he also gave it to his offspring. But the word promise, it appears eight times in 15 verses in this context of Galatians chapter three. And the point that Paul is making is that God made a promise, then he gave the law. And in giving the law, he was not changing the promise. The apostle Paul would say, that's not how promises work. And by giving the law, he's not changing the promise. The nature of the promise that was given to Abraham was one in which that God swore an oath to Abraham to do what God said he would do without any condition, to Abraham. The relationship between God and Abraham was repeatedly called in the book of Genesis, a covenant. It was a legal binding agreement. It wasn't just a shake of hands or a gentleman's agreement. Instead, covenants were sealed through blood and through ceremony. Look in Genesis chapter 15, looking in verse seven. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Verse eight, but he said, "O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Verse nine, and he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all of them out to him, cut them in half, laid each and went over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And after the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Look down in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Note verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your offspring, I will give this land from the river, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And the significance was what was going on, what was taking place. I will place on a brief hold and I'll come back to it. This is what made preaching this sermon a little bit tricky. We'll come back to the significance of this in just a moment. But for now, know that God is pledging to Abraham, I will give to you a promise and I will fulfill it without any condition on you, Abraham. God's word and God's faithfulness are on the line in Genesis chapter 15. But the apostle Paul, and then thumb back to Galatians chapter three, hold that thought in your mind as best as you can. Paul goes out of his way to make the point within this verse. Look at verse 16, he follows the promise. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. The word that's used here is the word sperma. It means means offspring or maybe your translation says seed. And it goes this way, it is implying to be, Paul goes out of his way to imply it to be singular. It is seed, not seeds. The language there is very intentional as you read it. It's very intentional. It's a singular seed. It's a singular offspring, not offsprings. And he's quoting from Genesis 17, verse eight. Paul knows that the natural meaning of this word, offspring, implies plurality. It's a singular plural word. It it means means one, but it means collectively a group of people. It's a collective singular, if you will, but Paul makes an intentional focus in this text to say, I'm speaking of a singular person. And he has a point for doing this. He knows that the typical rendering of this word. He says in Romans nine, he says, know that it refers to the children who are many, are belonging to Abraham. Abraham many. Abraham had many sons, plural. What's Paul doing? Paul knows that. Paul knows that Abraham is the father of many nations. Romans four eighteen. Paul knows what he's doing when he does this. He's very intentional and tells us who the seed is. Singular. It is, namely, Christ. And what the apostle Paul is doing in Genesis twenty one verse twelve. The term offspring though it refers to many typically, is referenced in the singular, not only in Genesis 17, but also in Genesis 21, as to show specific intentionality. Genesis 21:12. through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham had two little boys, Ishmael and Isaac yet the seed is traced to Isaac and the promise is conferred to him. And the promise is repeated to Isaac in Genesis 26 and then to Jacob in chapter 28 and then repeated and affirmed to Jacob again in Genesis 46, which would be exactly 430 years unto the law, meaning that the seed is beginning to bloom. This seed is beginning to grow. Paul quotes in Romans 9, 7, and he says, This is what it means, not that the children of the flesh are the children of God, but the children of promise are reckoned as offspring or seed, singular This is the argument that the Apostle Paul is making here. The fulfillment of this promise is not biological. It's Christological. It's found in Christ. It's not found in ethnicity. You don't have to say you have Abraham as your father because you're a Jew. No, it is only through Christ. It is in Christ that the promise is ultimately fulfilled. And you see this seed. It's seen over and over and over through the Scripture, and it begins to culminate and grow and blossom. And the seed is Christ. He is the true seed and the fulfillment of the promise. Paul is pulling a strand of language that borrows from a messianic rescue and the language that is seen throughout all the Bible of a true seed that will come and rescue God's people. Even back in Genesis 3.15, what's the promise that is there? The seed of the woman, shall crush the seed of the serpent. There will come a seed that will be victorious for God's people. And then Cain killed Abel and proved, according to 1 John 3, that he was the seed of a serpent. But the language of hope picks up in Genesis chapter 4 with Seth. This is what the word says Genesis 4:25 and then Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called him Seth for she said God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain killed him To Seth also a son was born and he called him Enosh and at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord that is just a hint just a hint of the seed of the woman will be victorious over the seed of the serpent and the language of seed, the apostle Paul is using here and continues to say the promise to Abraham was given to Isaac and he's following this seed and following this sacrifice of the son that the seed of the woman will eventually crush the seed of the serpent and he will be victorious for his people that the promise of a coming blessing, the seed of the woman through God's deliverer, the Messiah, the savior coming into the world will crush the seed of the serpent and will deliver his people. That is seen all throughout the Bible in Genesis 49 to Judah Jacob says blesses Judah says your brothers will bow down to you and your neck and you shall be on the hands of your enemies the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff be between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of his people this is the book of numbers when 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 the prophet says this he says I see him but not now I behold him but not near a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel it shall crush the forehead of ab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and the one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. The promise is given again to David in Second Samuel that I will establish my covenant and my throne with you forevermore. It's picked up again by the psalmist in Psalm 72. May he defend the cause of the poor and the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Verse 17, may his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. The seed that God gives will be a true seed that is victorious and accomplishes salvation for his people. And Paul says, the true seed, the serpent crusher, the deliverer, the savior, the offspring of Abraham that we've all been looking for is the blessing. It is through Christ. He is the seed, the seed is Christ. He will and he has won the victory. And it was the cry of the cross that echoes throughout all of history that it is finished. And Christ is victorious. He has brought salvation, a blessing to the nations, fulfilling the promises given to Abraham in Christ, he says. This is why Paul would say in Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus, in Christ and only in Christ you are the sons of God through faith. You are children of Abraham, not because of biology, but because of Christology. Galatians 3, 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. Point three, God's gracious gift through Christ. Look at verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. The promises of God culminate in this text to an inheritance. Noting the language that the Apostle Paul is using here, tracing the story of Abraham You think about the story of Abraham, the promises that were given to him. Even the text says it. there were many promises that were given to Abraham, many promises. The promise of land in Genesis 12 and 13 and 15, 17, 24, 22, 26, 28. Children to be as numerous as the stars. Genesis 13, 15, 22, 26. To possess the keys over his enemies. Genesis 22, 24 a promise to bless the nations through him. Genesis 12, 18, 22, 26, 20. There were many promises that were given to Abraham and all of them come not through the keeping of the law Judaizers, but through the fulfilling of the promised one. It comes through the promised fulfiller and his name is Christ. And if you want the inheritance of the promise that God has given to Abraham, it's through Christ. It's through Christ that we receive the blessing of a better land and a better country in his presence. It's through Christ that the offspring of Abraham are found to be many. It's through Christ that the enemy of sin and death is defeated. And Christ is triumphant. It's through Christ that all the nations, both Jews and Gentiles, are to be blessed through him. It is through Christ and only through Christ that we receive salvation. The apostle Paul says, you want the blessing, you want the inheritance. It's only through the grace of God, through faith in Christ, not by works of the law. You don't earn promises, you receive them. The same way that Abraham received them. He believed by faith in Christ, the same way that Isaac believed, by faith, the same way of Jacob, by faith, the same of Noah, by faith, and by Moses, by faith, looking forward to the promise and the faithfulness of God in Christ. This is why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. No Christ, no inheritance. That's Paul's argument here. Because, note, note the argument in verse 18. The inheritance given through the promises, plural. Note his argument, not by works of the law, given through the promises, plural, and is grounded by a promise, singular. Not by law, but by a promise which in turn takes us back to the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 15. Turn there and look at that one more time this morning. Abraham says, God made these promises. And Abraham says, God, how do I know? How do I know that you're gonna do this? How do I know that you're gonna be faithful? How do I know that they're gonna come to pass, Genesis 15:8. God says, I'm gonna make a covenant. I'm gonna make a legal binding agreement. And here's what you need, Abraham. You need three animals of the land, you need two birds. You need a heifer, a goat, a ram, turtle dove, and a pigeon. Cut them in half and lay them opposite to one another, making a center aisle, make a path there. In Genesis 15, at sunset, God caused a great sleep to cause on Abraham. And God walks through the pieces and swears an oath to do what he promises to do for Abraham. Look at Genesis 15, 12. And the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell on Abraham, Behold, the great darkness fell upon him. And usually what would happen is you were making a covenant. If you were making an agreement, both parties would pass through the pieces to ratify the agreement. So as to say, know that I am making an agreement between you and I that is binding. And if I don't fulfill what I'm saying that I will do, May I become like these pieces? May I be broken like these pieces? And the apostle Paul makes it very clear, and we know in Genesis 15, that the covenant with Abraham is unconditional. The only person that was on the line was God. The only obligation was on the Lord. And God says, I will do it, says the Lord. And the Apostle Paul is pointing us to this. He's pointing into this reality. He says the fulfillment of this was through Christ. He has fulfilled the promise and the the promise to Abraham is now belonging to us in Christ, both Jews and the Gentiles and the parallels of this, what God was doing in Genesis chapter 15 and what Christ was doing in the new covenant on the cross. It is crystal clear that this is all coming together. These hints and shadows all become crystal clear in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Namely, Abraham was asleep. (laughs) He couldn't do anything to add to the promise. He couldn't get up and pledge himself an oath to the Lord. He was out cold. In the same way, beloved, when God rescues you, when we are saved, we are just like Abraham. Abraham. In the slumber of sin and the death that sin has brought, dead in our trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2 1, but made alive. How the apostle Paul says in Christ. And when the Spirit awakens us from the darkness of our sleep, we arise just like Abraham that says, God has done everything necessary for my salvation, and it has all been accomplished through Christ. It is finished. The Lamb of God has been slain. God gave to him a promise. Note this, Genesis 15, 5. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 8 of Genesis 15. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. God gave to Abram a promise while he was sleeping. And before Abraham fully realized even what the promises were, the promise was made. So it is with our salvation. Ephesians chapter one, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Anybody alive at that point in time? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Christ. There it is according to the promise of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him, there it is, the apostle Paul's favorite line, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things to himself, things in heaven and on earth, and praise god that before we even knew our need for a savior the lamb of god was slain and before you could ever choose him he already chose us in christ john fifteen six. it was given without condition abraham did nothing he believed god and so it is with all of us who trust in christ Thirdly, God gives the gift of himself and accomplishes what we couldn't. Look at Genesis 15, verses eight through 10. But he said, "O oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all of these things to him and he cut them in half and laid them over against each uh, against the other. And he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down to the carcass, Abram bro- drove them away. And the party would walk the aisle of these carcasses that were maligned, that were cut into pieces. So as to say, if I do not fulfill my end of the bargain, may I be cut in pieces like these. Genesis 15, seven, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking pot and a firing torch passed between the pieces. And on the day, on that day, the Lord made a covenant With Abraham. God pledged Himself. He gave of Himself that I will remain faithful to my promise. And Paul's argument is that the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham was fulfilled ultimately in Christ. Further, that the fulfillment of the covenant at Sinai is fulfilled in Christ as well. That's why he places them side by side in his argument in Genesis chapter three. Moses and Abraham are not contradicting one another. They are pointing instead to a greater fulfillment. They are pointing, all of them are pointing to Jesus. And one day... One day, when humanity fails, as they will fail to live as God asks them to do, and as Abraham would fail to live in perfect obedience, as he did, he wasn't perfect, Judaizers. And when Israel stands before God and makes a covenant with the Lord at Mount Sinai and says, we'll keep the law, we'll keep every bit of it, and they don't. And they walk between the pieces and say, may I be like these pieces if I don't do what I say. And in the same way, you and I, when we fail to live in the standard of God's commands and we are destined to perish and be condemned, God walked through the pieces. He walked through the pieces for us. And he said, even if I don't fulfill it, and I will, you'll take it to the bank. I'll do it. But in total mystery, God says, even when you fail, put the curses on me. Put the curses on me. I will fulfill it. And God in Christ is securing everything that we deserve and giving to us no longer curses but only the inheritance know that I will fulfill my promise to you, even if it means that I have to be crushed. And the sobering truth of the gospel this morning is that he was. He was crushed. And the new covenant, the apex of these covenants coming together in Christ, his death on a cross Oh, how dreadful that darkness was in Genesis 15. That sky was so dark. It was black as night, and God passes through the pieces. It reminds us of another day when the sky went black again, Matthew 27. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God. God, why have you forsaken me? And God is walking through the pieces of his son. He is walking through his son who was crushed for our sake, who did nothing wrong. And he was absorbing our sin. And no one, no one could stand in the way of that. No man could interfere in that courtroom. No man could help. A covenant was being signed with the blood of the sinless Lamb of God and was being ratified, secured. Total confidence that Jesus has bore all of our sin on the cross. Every ounce of the wrath of God poured out on him. It is finished. This is why Isaiah would say he was oppressed and afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Verse 9, and they made him a grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see the offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. And Paul's argument lands in the middle of this inheritance. Jeff mentioned it last week. The blessing of the covenant and the curses of the covenant of those who break it so as to shout to the Judaizers saying, if you wanna play this game, if you wanna play this game, you have what you will, but no, if you wanna trust the law, if you wanna trust in the covenant of the law, you better not miss a lick of it. You better hit every jot and tittle, all 613 commands God has given, you better not miss a one. And if you do, may all the curses of the covenant fall on you and crush you or you can look to Christ by faith and see Christ in Christ alone taking upon your failure and sin, being put to death on a tree, absorbing the full weight of the wrath of God, freeing you that you might live to God and giving to you that you might receive in Christ and only in Christ the inheritance of salvation, the inheritance of the promise, the debt is paid in full. I'll say it again, it is finished. The fullness of the wrath of God poured out on his son. Which will you have it? Curses or inheritance? You trust in the law, you trust in the works of the law, Judaizers, Galatians, know this, that at the end of that road, there is a curse that is waiting for you. You trust in Christ, there's only inheritance and promises of Abraham that are yours in Christ. The Apostle Paul argues that nothing has changed. Through the law, though the law was given, there isn't a new way to receive the inheritance. There isn't a new way to receive the blessing. God has made a promise to Abraham, to his seed, to Christ. No Christ, no inheritance. The law was given 430 years later, but it wasn't a new basis of getting in. God wasn't changing his mind to believe in me, to work for me now. He wasn't saying, I taught you to receive mercy, now I want you to earn merit, or it was from faith, now to works of the flesh. God does not contradict himself in that way. Though the law was holy, though the law is good, it isn't your right standing and how you're a righteous before God. Instead, it has always been and will always be only through faith in the finished work of Christ. No Christ, no salvation, no Christ, no inheritance, only condemnation. And so I ask you this morning, I ask you this morning, What are you trusting in to give you right standing before God? Your good works, your good deeds, your moralism, your southern hospitality, your church membership, you name it. Great things, but not enough. And the only one who could satisfy the wrath of God became a curse for you. He absorbed the full weight of the condemnation that we deserve. God walking through the pieces of his crushed son for you. Would you respond and receive him today? And to say there's an inheritance waiting. (laughs) There's an inheritance of salvation and a coming kingdom and a coming city and a blessing that's given to Abraham and is mine in Christ and I receive it today. Would you respond in repentance and faith to Christ? Would you stop relying on your flesh and the works of the law? That is not how the inheritance comes. God made a promise, and we believe him, and we receive him by faith in Christ. In Christ. The Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons Podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand, but please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.